to talk about questions Jesus asked and really how you answer a question that Jesus asked could change the trajectory of your life, could change your whole life. So we're going to look at three questions Jesus asked in my part doing Pastor Steve's message. We're going to read Matthew 16, verse 13 through 17. Verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you, you may be seated. And Father, we pray you would speak to our hearts today, and may we leave here recognizing that Jesus is awesome. And everyone agreed by saying... So have you ever asked yourself why there was like all these conflicting opinions here about when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But before that, they said, yeah, like people say like, you're like Jeremiah. You're like John the Baptist. You're like one of the prophets. You're like Elijah. And that's, that's who people say that you are. Jesus has been seen with John the Baptist and all. But then he asked them, and this is really what matters, is who do you say that Jesus is? And Jesus said, asked them, but who do you say that I am? Suddenly, Peter, he's arrested by a divine glimpse, a revelation, an unveiling of who Jesus was. And for the first time, he understands that Jesus is not just a good man, not just a good teacher, not somebody that hung out with, but he's a savior, the son of God, the Messiah. And so that's who they recognize. Peter recognized who it is. You're not like me. You're not like us. You're more than a good man. You're more than a great teacher here. You're the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. He says, but, but God showed you that reality. You didn't realize that yourself. says, but flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Simon Barjona, but my Father who is in heaven. And I believe that the time comes in everyone's life, there's a Christ follower, that they have this Peter moment where you can hear things about God. That's how it was with me. That was my story. Jesus was a good man. People need Jesus for a crutch. That's what I thought. And then one day, I recognized that Jesus is real and Jesus is God. And it changed everything, really, for the whole of my life. I'm here with you today because of that moment. So, but understanding the answer to this question is transformative. Change Peter's life forever. Change your life forever. Perhaps you're new to church and you're kind of sorting it all out. This is a question that you want to come to grips with. So Jesus recognized that, first of all, they're going to give him the popular opinion. But he really wasn't interested in popular opinion. He was interested in his, what is your reality? What is your reality? And so uh, then he often asked him other questions. When he was with his disciples in private, when he was teaching in public, he would pose question after question. I think of the, uh, the woman... Uh, that was at uh, the beautiful uh, uh, Best Theater there, and I said, do you want to be made whole? She'd been there day after day, year after year, and he asked, do you want to be whole? Are there advantages to your like, being there as you are now? So Jesus would ask questions then, he asked questions now, and I think that like the still small voice of the Holy Spirit 
can pose questions to you. I want to unpack that a little bit. There's, there's questions that you have in your heart. And we read, this, read the scripture and Jesus asks questions that still come alive to us today. Like, will you follow me? Will you believe in me? Will you trust me? Will you serve me? Will you follow what I say in scripture there? Will you choose me over convenience there? Will you believe me when you need me and I believe that I can help you? Will you believe that I am all that you need? In our lives really scream the answers to these questions. By what? By our actions? By our disposition? By our attitudes? By the decisions that we make, our faith decisions, if we believe or not? So today we're going to look at some questions, additional questions that Jesus asked, because every time he asks a question, it causes us to pause and think about our own lives and process that. So really what we're doing here is we're taking like a spiritual inventory. Hey friends, I know it's hot, okay? Like I, I know it's hot, just hang in there. We put it with the AC ran all night and it is what it is. So, uh, but, but we're taking a spiritual inventory and in John chapter 6, verse 66, Jesus had been teaching uh, to the crowds about the necessity of receiving him, walking with him. And the listeners there were having a hard time, getting a little offended, a little, little mumbling, a little grumbling, uh, and feeling like, yeah, it's kind of demanding to follow. And, and uh, so Jesus said, from this time, or the Bible says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. How sobering, really, how sobering is that, that from that time, that day, that moment, there were those that had followed. They were part of the crowd. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen Jesus raise the dead. They'd seen all that he had done, heard his amazing messages. They are there with the Son of God, God wrapped in flesh, and yet many unfollowed, many punched out, many gave up. And so, and I, I, I get it that there are seasons of weariness, uh, difficult times. People feel battle-weary, feel like you got hit by a truck, hard, arduous, tumultuous circumstances, seasons of discouragement. Uh, I, re I recognize people waking up at night, fearful, anxious thoughts that we have. Uh, we get angry, life's not fair, my husband did me in, my wife did me in feel like giving up, I want to throw in the towel. Uh, life's not fair. What you did to me was unfair. And you feel the weight. People live under, under the weight of the demands of life. It seems so heavy. Be easier just to punch out and unfollow. And then you can sometimes even hear like the voice that says, yeah, why don't you just leave it all behind? Why, why don't you just look out for number one? Why don't you just do your own thing? So when you do a spiritual inventory by answering the questions, it helps you at seasons where life is just hard. So when you look at Peter's answer, it's a beautiful answer. When Jesus asked that, hey, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to no longer follow him? So Peter told the Lord this. He said, well, what shall we do? Only you have the words of eternal life. I mean, there's no one else besides you, Lord, that we could follow. So sometimes Jesus would also ask a question to encourage someone. When you feel like the world, you're just not feeling, you feel like a failure. 
Anybody feel like, you don't have to raise your hands, but you know what I'm talking about? You just feel like, man, I, like I stink. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I feel that sometimes. Sometimes I'll, I'll finish speaking, I'll drive it home and think, Colin's like, you stunk it up today, you know? And so, anyway, but we all have those moments, you feel that uh, when you're like a failure. You're like the world's biggest failure. You're failing with your family, you're failing uh, with your work, you're failing in your marriage, you're, you're failing in life, you're failing with God, and, uh, and it can be difficult. And you have those seasons of just despondency and discouragement and feeling down. So I want to remind us what Jesus did when he asked the question, have not I chosen you? And when you feel you have like nothing to offer and like you're failing, remember God chose you. And he says, hey, I knew what I was getting when I chose you. And the Bible says he chose chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Well, the last question is this. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world if he forfeits his soul. Think about that. How many people are doing that today and living in this reality, trying to gain, gain, gain the temporal at the sacrifice of the eternal? You think of Esau in the Old Testament there, when he was starving, he'd been out in the field, he comes to his father and he, he sees, or his brother, and he sees uh, the porridge, the, you know, the beans there, and he says, hey, I, I got to have it right now. And he's ready to sacrifice everything spiritual, the lifetime implications, for a moment of pleasure. To eat that, those beans. And, uh, and his brother says, give me your birthright. I don't care about the birthright. I want the beans right now. And that's a picture of people's lives. People living today, when they'll do anything for the temporal at the sacrifice of the eternal or the lifetime. So the question is posed, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet you forfeit your soul? Really, this is a question that is a penetrating question. It is a life-defining question. It's a transformative question how you would answer this question. He's asking people, what are they trading for for him? for the eternal, for the spiritual. So would we so esteem the temporal at the loss of the eternal? So the question would be, to rephrase it, what is squeezing the life of God out of you? Uh, what is causing you to be maybe dulled in your spiritual affections? Uh, what are you battling, you know, kind of like the me, got to have it now monster? And so what is it that we put ahead of Christ, of eternal things. So Jesus asked these three questions. Who do you say that I am? Would you follow me? And what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? Penetrating questions, friends, that we all want to answer. Without any further ado, we're going to transition here because we're tag-teaming. It is my great pleasure to introduce to you, again, Pastor Jim Willard. Give it up for Pastor Jim. Wasn't that great? That was awesome just to stand in and, yeah, go on, yeah, because that's, that's the Holy Spirit taking someone that hadn't had the, the time and looked at a message, which Pastor Steve does a great job of having notes out there, but I have Pastor Steve's notes. 
And that was all Holy Spirit. That's not the way Pastor Steve, everything he would have, the way he would have shared it. And so that's awesome. That's awesome. I have one question for you that I'm going to share today, short time here. Um, and it, as you look at this question, and here's the thing I want to just share with you. You really don't want to answer this question or have to answer this question. Mine comes from Luke 6.46, and it says this. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, But why did you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? I don't want to have to answer that question, but I'll say this to you. Because as I was looking at it, I felt good about the fact that I can answer this question. Why? Because I'm still here. It's not at the end right now. I have an opportunity to answer the question. This question may take, for me, a lot of pen and ink. Because as I begin to look at the things that Jesus is going to, that I'm going to share with you right now, I'm seeing that there's some questions that I have to answer about my life. Like Pastor Rod says, I have to take inventory on my life right now because there are some things I'm not doing right. And I don't want to, when that time comes, for him to ask me this question and me have to answer with my head down. Jesus, in this passage of of Luke chapter 6, it's a long passage. A lot of things happen during this passage. It starts out with Jesus walking with his disciples through a grain field. And when they get to a place, a certain place, the disciples start taking the, the grain. And, and they're working. They're eating the grain. And there's a, the, the jealous Pharisees coming to Jesus and say, what are you doing? Don't you know it's Sunday? It's the Sabbath? What are you doing? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus reminds them a story about David. And in that story about David, basically what Jesus is saying, man, they're hungry. It's the Sabbath, yeah, but they're hungry. They need to eat. That was their source of food. What about love? The Pharisees didn't want to hear that. Jesus goes on. Is another in a, later on in Luke, and he goes in the next example. Jesus, they're at church. He's in the temple, and there in the temple, there's a man with a withered hand right there. And the man with the withered hand, Jesus sees him. He knows the thoughts of the disciples. He knows their hearts. He knows the, the, the thoughts of everyone in the church, including the religious leaders, these Sadducees and Pharisees, who are supposed to be teaching what is right. And knowing that, he has the man with the withered hand stand up. And this is so cool. It gives me goosebumps right now. If you can't see them, they're, they're big. And he says, hey, What's right? What's the right thing to do? Where's the love that you're supposed to have? Paraphrasing that. Man is already standing where everyone can see. And then Jesus does something cool that only he can do. Only God can do. He had already said, I'm the son of man, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, which means I'm the judge. I judge the hearts of men. I know when they're doing something right. When they're putting love above the law and of the direction of the law, he says, I'm going to do something right now. I'm going to prove to you that I'm who I said I am. He didn't even say be healed. He said, just stretch your hand out. And yet they still accused him. They didn't want to accept the things that Jesus was doing. I wonder if that's any of us here. See, we struggle with the simple laws because we're in this world. We're this minority of believers in this world. And, we're, and the world is saying do one thing, and, and we're dismissing the word of God. As a matter of fact, we may change it and, and, and try to reason 
how I can get away with doing things my way. See, maybe you're a young person. Maybe you're 18, 19, or 20. You're still living at home, and your mom and dad has their rules. Hey, honey, when you go out, call me and let me know where you're at. You're, you're still in my house. You know, if mom went out, I, I'd love to know that she's where she's at and what time she's going to call me. You're still going to honor me as your father and your mother. If I ask you to wash the dishes, do it. If I ask you to make, clean your room, do it. You're still going to honor me. The scripture says, honor your mother and your father that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God. And you say, oh, man, that's old school stuff. I'm an adult now. I don't have to do what you say anymore. I have my own opinions. Hey, well, maybe you're married. And you're the wife, and you say, man, the scripture says that bad S word. The bad S word. Submit. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And you say, man, him? Really? Or maybe the, the husband, and, and the Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And you go, Lord, but you don't know my wife. It's tough. It's tough loving her. I love what the Lord would probably say. Well, I said love her as I love the church and gave myself for it. Do you remember the road to Golgotha? Before, when, as I was carrying my cross through the crowds on both sides of me, people making fun of me, mocking me, talking about me, spitting at me. And yet... I went to die for them because I loved everyone, everyone that cursed at me, everyone who didn't appreciate me. I loved every one of them. That should be easy for you to do. Maybe you're one struggling with those things in life, and, and you want to, and, and, and here it is, you're called to do what God has asked you to do, and you're struggling with it. And God says, I don't care what the world around you is doing. I don't care what's going on in your own household. I don't care if your mom and dad are old school. I want you to do what I've asked you to do. Can't you answer the question and say, I do it all the time. I don't have a problem with it. The Pharisees, again, missed the point, just like some of us do. Jesus goes on in, in verse 20 through 22 of, uh, of Luke. He says some things, and he, he lets them know that I'm aware that life on this earth is going to be hard. But he says, let me share a blessing. Let me give you a, a glimpse into eternity, what the blessings are that you have going forward. In verse 20, he says, there's going to be poverty here on the earth at times when you're serving me. People are going to take things from you. You're going you're to be short sometimes. But he says, there will be a reward in heaven. Hmm. Amen. In verse 21, he says there'll be times of hunger here on the earth, but, but in heaven, you'll be filled. In other words, you can have complete satisfaction in heaven. In verse 22, in verse, at the end of verse 21, he goes on, he says, but in heaven, there will be everlasting laughter, everlasting joy. You're not going to have to deal with the things you, you're dealing with right now, but in heaven, there'll be joy. Something for us to, to keep our eyes on and to keep looking forward as we're going through 
the troubles that he's going through. I can imagine my God and your God as he's going to the cross, as he's being spit on. As the Bible taught, it says that the, but for the joy that was set before him. He knew what he was about to do for you and I, and he's focused on what's going to happen. All of the people that he's going to give an opportunity to be with him in heaven. Wee. Goosies again. Because I'm happy with what he did. And now he's calling us to mimic him. See, it's not just the, the person that's unsaved that this is for. It's for you and I. I've got a long list of convictions as I was writing out. What took me so long in this study, I was busy writing a long list and go, ooh, shoot. Wow. He goes on. And as I kind of draw to an end of this, Jesus does some things, and he gives us, he doesn't leave us without a way to make it through some specific things he says. He reminds us. And he puts us kind of in the same class with him in Luke 640. He says this, disciple is not above the teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like the teacher. I just wonder how many of us want to be like Jesus. How many of us said, you know, he did it for me. I want to be like him. Sometimes I'll be with one of my daughters and people will go, that's your daughter. The Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, it says that, or 2 Corinthians 3, it says that daily what we're supposed to do is we're, as we look in the mirror, we're supposed to be a little more, look a little more like Jesus. How many of you desire to be that way? It says the way that you and I are, get to that, that, that way is that we are perfectly trained. Perfect training comes from God. So there's two things we basically have to do. He gives us a hint here in Luke 6, 48. And here's what he says. Jesus says, he's like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, when the streams beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. That rock being Jesus Christ. So he gives us a picture. When you, got, you and I are here on this earth, we're building our house. It's the way we live. We're building this, this house, this temple within us, the way that we live. He tells us two things. The first thing he says, it, it's going to be work. Dig deep. Dig deep. We have to dig deep. Digging deep. I have to dig deep in prayer sometimes. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth as much. Not some wimpy prayer. Sometimes I have to spend some time on my knees and press through for changes in my own life and my life and my family and those around me and the work that God has called me to do. The scripture says also in, um, uh, in 2 Timothy 2.15, the Amplified Version says it like this, study and be eager. And do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial. A workman who has, who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and, and accurately dividing, rightly handling, skillfully teaching the word of truth. Digging deep, even when we don't want to. Leaning on one side, I'm saying, man, you know, I, I really don't 
want to do some of the things that Scripture tells me to do. I'm kind of whining to God at times, Lord, that's not fair. People ask me sometimes about Hope City, similar to the, the way that the Pharisees saw it. They'll come and tell me sometimes, the people that you're serving there, they'll say, well, they're all drug people, right? Uh, no, not everyone is like that. You really have to know their lives. Some of them were orphans and left and had to scrounge around for themselves. How many people go anyway? Well, I, the way God set me up, I'll go to the few. It doesn't have to be a big place. I don't understand why you do that. Because God keeps giving. He's got people that have a heart for him, and they sow into the ministry, and there's food and clothing for them. And God will use whatever he has to bring one back. A thousand may come in. It's a very transient church. But if one or two come out, which we've had some, praise God. It's the heart of our Savior that we're called to have. We're going to seek the Lord constantly in prayer and his word and seek the Lord in the, in the desire to be truly changed his way over my way. When Jesus was choosing the disciples, this is what he said. That he went, the Bible says that he spent the night in prayer. And then he chose the 12 apostles. He wanted the, the will of the Father and not his own will. Finally, here's the last thing that I want to share with you. It's a last thought. As I was picturing Jesus, as I saw him asking, think of him asking the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things that I ask you to do. I thought about those that I've shared with and how sad it would be. It may be even some of you here. I don't know. Only Jesus knows. If we're standing before God one day and he asks a question, but he changes the tense of the questions. And he said, why did you call me Lord, Lord? Why did you dare call me Lord, Lord and not do what I ask you to do? For some of us, it may be at the great white throne judgment. The next place for that is eternal hell. For others of us, it may be at the beaming seat of Christ. I imagine at that place, uh, those tears would be flowing down your eyes as they are, they do in mine. Sometimes when I'm standing here, why do I still get to be a pastor? Why do I still have the opportunity to address you today? because of the love of God and the, his blood in which he died for you and I. I don't want to have to answer that question. How about you? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that we're here today to, to take inventory of our lives as believers and maybe some that don't know you right now. You died for us and it's questions like that which you desire to see a change in our lives. In the end, there will only be a few that are standing because you said narrow is the way to righteousness, wide is the road to destruction. So, Lord, I ask that for everyone here under the sound of my voice, 
Lord, that there would be a change, a true desire to follow you and do things your way, bringing glory and honor to you. And Lord, we'll thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.